Hello everybody, welcome to church. Great to have you with us today. I hope you enjoyed the rain that we had this week. And I just want to give a special shout out to Joshua because it was his 12th birthday yesterday. So happy birthday, Joshua. Uh, strange times and, and a different way of celebrating birthdays, but we've all been doing that this year, haven't we? So I uh, just want to uh, take this opportunity because I can really just to shout out and say, hey, Josh, happy birthday. I uh, can't believe you're 12 already. Crazy. Finishing year six and going to high school next year. Uh, life still goes on. And so uh, it's a blessing to be able to uh, to, to, to um, wish Josh a happy birthday today. And I'll just encourage us now as we uh, head into worship um, with this video that's going to really set our hearts and the tone for our day today. Darkness, I will follow you. Oh, my lighthouse, 
my lighthouse. I will trust promise. You will carry me safe to shore. Safe to shore. Safe to shore. Safe to shore. Far before us, you're the brightest. You will lead us through the storms. Hey, far before us, you're the brightest. You will lead us through the storm. Far before us, you're the brightest. You will lead us through the storm. Oh, far before us, you're the brightest. You will lead us through the storm. My lighthouse, my lighthouse, shining in the darkness. I will follow you, oh, my lighthouse, my lighthouse. I will trust the promise. You will carry me safe to shore.
One thing about online church that uh, is very different to what we can do in normal church, and those are things like pastoral prayers, like family sharing time where we hear about what God has been doing in the lives of, of each other's, because you know those are sort of intimate things for our family that we don't necessarily always like to share beyond. Um, so this morning, I wanted to dedicate just a small moment of, of, of prayer. Um, I'll be praying. And then I'm going to just hand it over to you for you to pray in your lounge room, in your office, wherever you're watching this. 
If you just pray to God, um, whatever, whoever else you're watching with, um, but just to use that moment as, as a time of prayer where we can uphold members of our own church families, of our, of our own personal families and of our community, that we can uphold them in prayer and pray for the needs that we are aware of. So let me lead us in that time of prayer now and uh, then we'll sing another song uh, after there's a bit of, uh, of, of quiet time for us just to pray ourselves. So, so let's do that now, let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you now and we bring those people that are on our hearts that may be struggling with different things or with health issues or, or those sorts of things. We, we bring them to you right now. And Heavenly Father, we, we, we pray for them. We intercede for them on their behalf to you. And we ask that you hear our prayers. Lord, many of us know of people who are really struggling with uh, the isolation and the loneliness. And uh, Lord, on the flip side, we thank you that up here in the Northeast, we were able to actually have outdoor groups of 10 meeting on Thursday. And so we do thank you for that little bit of time to encourage each other and for that fellowship. We thank you for the opportunities we have to, to leave our homes and to enjoy and to uh, give praise to you for this creation that you've given us to live in. But Lord, we are also aware that so many people cannot do that. And so we pray right now for our state and for our nation. We pray that, Lord, you would be gracious to us. Lord, please deliver us from this virus. And Lord, also please deliver us from restrictions that are not in our best interests. Lord, please save us from onerous responsibilities that are not as effective necessarily. Please help us to adhere to things though that are effective. And let us protect the vulnerable in our community. Lord, we also want to pray for those who are grieving the loss of family members and friends through this time. Lord, we pray that uh, you would comfort them. Lord, we pray for those that have reduced hours or have lost jobs. Lord, may you provide for them. And Lord, with a budget that was handed down this week, may that set us in good stead for a healthy future, one where we can return to as normal as possible, as quickly as possible, and where as many people are supported as needed, and where stimulus is given in areas that, that require it so that homes and livelihoods can be uh, continued in, in, in a healthy way, and that the stresses and pressure that comes with providing for a family would not push anyone over the edge, but Lord, the government's safety nets would kick in and save people from turmoil and save them from distress. So bring our nation, bring our people before you. And right now, we take this opportunity 
to, as a family to, and as, as individuals, to pray right now. Those people that you've laid upon our hearts, may we now intercede for them. Amen. Send his son to die, rise again to save us. His never ending love, his steadfast and sure. He's broken our chains, given us freedom. Give thanks to God, for he is good. In him we are alive, have joy everlasting. Never ending love is steadfast and sure. He casts out all fear and fills us with courage. Give thanks to God for He is good. His don't come and rage, His peace overwhelms us. His never ending love is steadfast and sure. Lord is our refuge when trouble surrounds us. Give thanks to God, for He is good. Give thanks to God, for He is good. He's always pouring out His abundant provision. His never-ending love is steadfast and true. The depths of His riches and incredible wisdom. Give thanks to God, for He is good. Give thanks to God, for He is good. Give thanks to God.
Have you ever felt that there's no way God would use me? He knows the stuff I've done. He knows the failure I have been. He knows what kind of person I am. There is no way he could ever think of using me. I am the wrong person. I'm sure that we've all been in this place at one time or another in our lives. And maybe some of us are are even in that place right now. We've all done things that we are not proud of. Things that we may feel even disqualify us from being eligible to serve God. We've all felt like a failure and that we are not worthy to be used by God. Our passage today in Judges paints a picture of one of these wrong people that God uses despite their flaws to bring about his plans and purposes. A person who was wrong in so many ways, but even still, God used Ehud. And this story today gives us a glimpse of hope that if God could use Ehud, then certainly he can use me too. If God's plans and purposes could be accomplished through the actions of a man like Ehud, then there's nothing holding me back from serving God and bringing hope to my world. So as we begin today, continuing our series, the book of Judges, God's grace in a selfish world, let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask right now that you illuminate the scriptures to us. Lord, may it be alive and living within us. And may you highlight things from your word today that train, instruct us, And that, Lord, spur us on toward love and good deeds and towards bringing your grace to our selfish world. So may you bless this message and these words from the scriptures, I pray. Amen. Well, we pick up Ehud's story in Judges chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, then turn with me now to Judges chapter 3, and we'll be reading from verse 12. So, Judges chapter 3, verse 12. If you get to Ruth, you've gone too far. So, Judges chapter 12, chapter 3, verse 12. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So we see they take the next step down the spiral towards apostasy, 
for Israel. Othniel had died, and again the people forget God. Continue on. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He gathered to himself the Ammonites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. And they took possession of the city of Palms. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. They spiral downwards by sinning again and are forced to suffer again. This time under King Eglon of Moab for 18 years. So the first time their suffering only lasted eight years. This time it's 18 years. Moabite King Eglon, his army and the armies of the Ammonites, both are descendants of Lot. Along with the Amalekites, who are descendants of Esau, they combined forces and they capture the city of Palms, which was the rebuilt city of Jericho, and they establish a base there. Verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. So following the pattern, here we see supplication. God supplies Ehud as a deliverer. But let's take a closer look at Ehud. Jericho was in Benjaminite territory, so it's not unusual for God to raise up a judge from the occupied tribe. And Ehud was that judge. The statement about him being left-handed is probably better translated as a man restricted as to his right hand. So he probably had a partially lame or damaged right hand and so was restricted in its use um, and so basically became left-handed out of necessity, which is an ironic condition for a Benjaminite since Benjamin means son of the right hand. In spite of this abnormality, God used him to bring a great victory to Israel, as we will see. Continuing on, the people of Israel sent tribute to him by Eglon, the king of Moab. So the writer of Judges begins setting up this story really well because Eglon, when translated literally, means fat ox. So verse 16. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length. This is a short cubit, about 40 centimetres, a cubit in length. And he bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. And when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. So this tribute 
would have been some form of payment, uh, some form of payment, uh, most likely taxes to the king, gold, silver, whatever they, they had. And it's important that we really do take note of the description of King Eglon. It says he was a very fat man. In fact, the Hebrew can be translated as not just very fat, but exceedingly fat. And so Ehud pays tribute, his taxes, the taxes of their people, to this morbidly obese man and sends away everyone he came with. And it's important to note out here too that Ehud's name actually means loner. So Ehud sends his travelling companions away and is now alone. He's now alone with the king, with a blade that he has made himself, a blade which was a short cubic in length, about 40 centimetres, which is the length basically of elbow to the knuckles of your fist. That's sort of how long the blade was. And here they are alone. Ehud is alone with the king, with his blade strapped to his thigh, intended to be used to assassinate the king. So let's read on, see what happens in verse 19 and 20. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he commanded silence. And all his attendants went out from his presence. And Ehud came to him as he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. So Ehud, he's on, his journey, on the journey on the way home. He's heading home. He hasn't really got too far as Gilgal is quite close to Jericho. And he sees these idols. And upon seeing these idols, he then decides to return to the king under the guise of delivering a message. Ehud is alone with the king on the rooftop. And the king stands up to hear what this message from God is. <clears throat> so we see Lona is alone with the fat ox. Judges chapter 3, verses 21 to 23. And Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right hand, right thigh, and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly and the dung came out. Then Ehud went out into the porch and closed the doors of the roof chamber behind him and locked them. Judges is quite a graphic book, isn't it? So this 40 centimetre long sword is thrust into the belly of this exceedingly fat king, Eglon, it goes all the way in. So even the handle is inside and enclosed by the fat of the king's belly. Commentator Michael L. Barr makes this observation. 
By way of a humorous, if vulgar, twist, something unexpected comes out of Eglon, his excrement. Such a grotesque occurrence would have been precisely the kind of detail that a story of this sort would have delight in recounting and would be unlikely to omit. Although it no doubt strikes modern readers as vulgar and distasteful, in the context of the story, it adds a note of extreme humiliation with respect to the Moabite king that would have delighted an Israelite audience, especially as it takes place at the very height of the drama. The national hero not only dispatches the enemy king with much cunning, but in the process caused him to become besmirched with feces. And Ehud calmly, coolly, locks the door behind him and leaves. Verse 24 and 25. When he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw that the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he's relieving himself in the closet of, of the cool chamber. And they waited till they were embarrassed. But when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. The king's servants probably thought he was relieving himself because of the fact that the door was closed and also because there was an odour, there would have been a smell. But when they couldn't wait any longer, when it had passed the point of ridiculous, they unlock the door and see the fat ox dead, no doubt in a pool of blood and feces. Yes, a vulgar and disgusting sight, but what they wouldn't have seen was Ehud's sword. Verse 26 and 27. Ehud escaped while they delayed, and he passed beyond the idols and escaped to Sirah. When he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country, and he was their leader. Now, it's important to know that Ehud's story is a bit different to the pattern established with Othniel. We don't see the spirit of the Lord coming upon Ehud. What we see is deception and cunning to defeat the king. These are methods that are not condoned by God explicitly. We're told that God raised up Ehud. And so whilst the methods may not have been endorsed by God, as the Spirit of the Lord never came upon Ehud, he is still God's choice by the effect his actions had, deliverance of God's people. Verse 28 and 3 to 30. And he said to them, follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him and seized the fords of the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time about 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. 
the pattern continues again. We see salvation for the people once more, which lasts 80 years, the rest of the days of Ehud. And this victory was a resounding one. They chased the Moabites and kill 10,000 of them. Now, this may have indeed been the entire Moabite army, as the word for thousand is also used to describe a military unit. So 10 military units or 10,000 people were killed. The numbers are probably close either way and certainly describe a great victory for Israel, which heralds a new time of peace. The writer's primary emphasis in telling us this story of Ehud seems to be that God used a man whom others would have regarded as unusual because he was left-handed to effect a great victory. God can use the unusual and unexpected for great victory. So God used someone who would have been easily passed over by everyone else. Someone who no doubt would have felt inadequate personally as well. I mean, why did Ehud fail to kill the king the first time when he was presenting their, tri- their tribute, the taxes? He'd sent his campaigns away and, and was alone with the king then, yet he didn't act. He too walked away. But obviously, as he passed the idols at Gilgal, his resolve was rekindled. And he returns and carries out the assassination of the king, a left-handed man from the son of the right hand. See, Ehud seems to be wrong on so many levels. Physically crippled, easily overlooked, lacking in confidence, having to have a second go at plucking up the courage. But he was also well-prepared, ultimately cunning, and succeeded with godly motivation. Ehud did not excuse himself from doing God's will just because he was different, as many Christians do. He stepped out in faith in spite of his physical peculiarities. You know, I've seen so many people excuse themselves from serving God because of one excuse or another. It's easy to find excuses. They don't don't take a lot of looking to find one. They're pretty easy. They don't take much effort to find. But what would have happened to Israel and to Ehud if he had have used an excuse that was easy for him to come up with and not follow God's will? Well, we certainly wouldn't be reading about him today. And God's people would have continued to suffer. Ehud and the rest of God's people would have continued to suffer rather than be delivered and saved from hardship and would not have experienced the 80 years of ensuing peace. There are consequences when we do not act in obedience to God's will. Those consequences They could be massive or they could be small. But either way, failing to do the will of God means that not only we miss out on the blessing 
of doing God's will, but that others too might miss out on being blessed by God as well. Ehud's faithful completion of God's will brought deliverance and peace to the nation of Israel for 80 years. You never know what God wants to accomplish through your obedience and through your completion of his will. God can and does choose to use the weak, the poor, the odd, the young, the old, the weird, the doubtful, the overlooked, and the different to effect great victory for his kingdom, just like Ehud. The strange and the different can be used by God. Like we also see with the next judge, Shamgar. We see this in verse 31. And only 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. That's the entire account of Shamgar, the third judge. His inclusion also doesn't follow the pattern of Othniel and is very, very brief. But Shamgar too is strange and different. Now the name Shamgar... It's not an Israelite name. It's most likely Hurian. We're also told that he's the son of Anath. And Anath was a Canaanite goddess, warrior goddess. And so there are several possibilities that exist about his background. Shamgar could very well be an Israelite, but could have encountered God and, and chosen to follow him. Or he could have been from, from a blended family of an Israelite and a Canaanite. Either way, his heritage is spurious. Either he's not an Israelite, but yet worships Yahweh, worships God, or is from a blended family of sorts, but still quite Canaanite. And he's called the son of Anath. Now, being the son of something could just mean that that pertains to your nature. And so it could refer to his warrior-like nature. Or it could be the, the family god. Again, spurious heritage. Shamgar had a very shady background. But we're told that he also saved Israel. And how he did that was striking, literally. He struck 600 Philistines down with an ox goad. Now, you might be asking, what on earth is an ox goad? I had to ask what on earth was an ox goad. And uh, an ox goad it was a, a stout stick. So, you know, thickish, a bit like a staff. It was eight to 10 feet or two and a half to three meters long. And it was used to train and drive oxen. At the thin end, it was well, thin and sharpened to a point to drive the auction, you know, to poke them, prod them along. And the other end had a small hoe to scrape off any dirt that might stick to the plow. So not really a formidable weapon, a pointy stick and hoe. That's what this 
stick was. It's not the proper equipment that you would normally require for victory over the Philistines. And this not only brings to mind the strange equipment that, that, that Samson uses to defeat some Philistines, we'll come across those later in this series, but also King David's use of a pebble and a sling. You know, one commentator noted, it is no matter how weak the weapon is, if God directs and strengthens the arm. An ox goad, when God pleases, shall do more than Goliath's sword. And indeed it did in the hands of Shamgar, killing 600 Philistines and saving Israel. The major lesson we should learn from Shamgar is that a shady personal background and a lack of proper equipment do not keep God from working through people who commit to doing his will. You know, many Christians think that because they do not have a good background or, or the best tools, they cannot serve God. But if we commit ourselves to executing God's will and use whatever background and equipment we have, God can accomplish a great deal through us. And so you might feel an affinity or, or, or be, be an Ehud. You know, from good stock, but overlooked, not confident, impeded, abnormal, strange and different. Or you might have an affinity with or, or be, 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 a, be a shamgar. Shady background, the wrong tools. But God can accomplish a great deal through each of us, regardless of our background, tools, or physical limitations or differences. We just need to commit ourselves to actually doing God's will and use whatever background, whatever equipment we have. Make the most of what we've got and what we've been given for the glory of God and to accomplish his plans and purposes because you never know what we could miss out on if we excuse ourselves. And you never know what blessings might be in store too if we are faithful and act. So what have you learnt from Ehud and Shamgar today that you can apply to your life and situation? Well, first, I hope that you've learnt that no matter how weird or strange or different your background is, God can still use you. Even if you're left-handed in a right-handed world, God can use that to bring about the unexpected. So if you don't feel like you fit in, maybe that's God's design. Second, godly motivation is important. Don't try and just do what you think is right in your own strength, but seek God's motivation and empowerment you know, what are the idols of our culture that you are walking past and that God is using to stir you up for action? And third, God will use whatever you've got to offer. The point is to offer. Be open, willing 
and ready to be used by God for His glory and the hope of the gospel. Even if you feel you've just got a pointy stick, God can use that in the hands of the obedient and willing disciple of Christ to bring great victory. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word today. And Lord, may that sink in that no matter how weird, strange, or different our background is, God, you still want to use us because you've created us to serve you. And Lord, we sometimes lack proper motivation. But Lord, I pray that you would use the idols of our culture to stir up conviction with us that would lead to action for your glory and the good of others as they encounter the hope of the gospel. And Lord, many of us feel we don't have much to offer. But Lord, what we do have, we do offer to you. Please use each one of us for your glory and to bring the hope of the gospel. Lord, great things can be done for your kingdom through different odd, strange people. Those who might be overlooked, those who might not be the standout pick, those who may not have had the training or the expertise or been given the tools that others may. But Lord, we have willing hearts. So Lord, would you use us to accomplish your plans and purposes, we pray. Amen. stumble again I'm caught in your grace everlasting your light will shine when all else fades never ending your glory goes beyond all things in my heart in my soul I give you control consume Justice and praise become my embrace to love you from the inside out. You will above all else, my purpose remains the art of losing myself.
Well, thank you once again for joining with us. It has been great having you at church. Uh, don't forget that 10.30 Thursdays is a regular occurrence now. Um, so if you want to, some fellowship, feel free to pop over uh, 10.30 at the church. We're meeting outside. Um, if it rains, uh, so be it. Uh, pack warm clothes. Uh, but I really want to encourage uh, each one to continue to call each other, continue to catch up if you can outside in a park, whatever. Um, but uh, care for each other still. Um, continue to encourage and support each other. And remember, God can use you no matter what background or tools you have uh, to accomplish His plans and purpose. All He needs is those that are willing. And so I, my, my challenge is to you, are you willing? Are you willing to be used by God? I pray that you will be. Blessings to everyone.